This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Alva. I'm Anoush. And I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the New Statesman podcast. On today's episode, we ask Anoush about her recent trip to Batley and Spen ahead of the by-election. And you ask us, was Keir Starmer's reshuffle of his top team a sign of strength or weakness? So Anoush is just back from visiting Batley and Spen, reporting on the by-election coming up. We're all hearing from lots of Labour people that they think that they are definitely going to lose and lose badly. So I'm just fascinated, Anish, as to how it felt on the ground there. Yeah, I definitely felt from the Labour people that I spoke to that it's not going well. Um, One of the main things was George Galloway kind of crashing into the by-election with his sort of band of merry men stirring up sort of populist resentment in the Labour Party among Muslim communities in the constituency, which is sort of a a significant demographic there. But interestingly, he's also targeting white voters as well, doing the kind of almost the sort of um, anti-woke right wing rhetoric that we've seen. So he's going to be in a rally with Lawrence Fox and a man called Paul Halloran, who was the person who stood for the heavy woolen independence in the 2019 election and got a really significant chunk of the vote and came third, who is a more complex figure, obviously, than than Lawrence Fox, but speaks about some of the issues in the constituency that are more salient among white voters who perhaps have um, abandoned the Labour Party. So, for example, there was the story of the teacher at the Batley Grammar School who um, showed a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad and then um, was suspended from his position while the school investigated. He has been asked to come back to his job, but he hasn't gone back to that job yet. And that is something that, you know, it wasn't brought up on the doorstep that often. Um, someone did bring it up to me um, and we chatted about it. So I think it just sort of feeds into a wider feeling among some voters that Labour perhaps wouldn't represent their interests or perhaps um, it's better to have sort of a candidate who perhaps comes from a completely different position from both the Conservatives and Labour, which is why there are some uh, non-Muslim voters who are sort of interested in George Galloway's campaign. And he's clearly trying to squeeze that that hard at the moment as we come up to polling day next week. But but mainly it's an issue for, for the Labour Party. And there's a feeling that the Conservative campaign is really helped by George Galloway because apparently this Ryan Stevenson, the candidate, has barely been 
seen in the Asian areas of the seat. And I did speak to one Tory door knocker who was saying, yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're working really hard in the already Tory voting areas just to try and get that vote out. I did try and speak to Ryan Stevenson about this. Um, I literally walked up to him at Tory HQ in the constituency. He looked terrified, got in his car and made a phone call. Someone came out and told me to go through the press office. I was standing outside his car and then he drove off. So I couldn't put this to him. I also didn't manage to speak to Kim Leadbeater, who is uh, the Labour candidate either, because I was told she was trying to focus on local media and local issues. So there's definitely a bunker mentality going on with the two main campaigns there. Mm. You know, when they brief you, they tell you that the race is tight, but I think it's probably quite likely and I know we shouldn't really make predictions but I think it's probably quite likely that Labour is going to be squeezed so hard by George Galloway that it will be a Tory win but I think a very undignified Tory win. What I thought was interesting about all of that uh, Anoush was yeah as a, a native son of Bowen Bethel Green the way that George Galloway won in 2005 was by marrying uh, the seat's large British Muslim and, and British Bangladeshi vote with the sort of white liberal, Lib Demi, SWP, broad left vote. And that's what allowed him to win the constituency in 2005. Similarly in, I'm going to get my Bradford seats confused, but when he won that 2012 by-election, he was, it was by marrying those two groups. Now, this is a, a different coalition, right? Because he's trying to marry the a part of the British Muslim vote with socially conservative white voters. Of course, the thing that people would say in both Bradford and Tower Hamlets is to say, oh, look, the structural weakness in the respect coalition is that it is trying to appeal to both ends of the Labour coalition, socially conservative part of the British Muslim vote and a socially progressive sort of left liberal vote. The interesting thing about Galloway's in some ways, right-wing turn in over the last decade, is it does make his electoral pool more rational in some ways. Do you think he could win? Um, <laughs> it's a good question. I don't, I don't think so. I don't see that happening because there are a lot of swing voters there who have sort of more traditional ways of talking about politics when you, when you ask them on the doorstep how they're feeling. I went to a village called Cleckheaton, which is more of a Tory area, and actually there was quite quite a lot of uncertainty about how people were going to vote and grudging support for the Conservatives um, among those people. So I think while there is a lack of enthusiasm in general in the seat, I don't know if there's enough of a sort of surge of resentment or surge of a protest vote to allow George Galloway to win. I'm not sure if his camp think that they're going to win. I think he has been saying that to some journalists, but I think they were slightly more realistic when I was speaking to them. But that, you know, who knows what could happen? I mean, they're going around telling everyone, all the voters, that Labour are going to come third, partly so that, you know, it can make it appear like it's a two horse race between George Galloway and the Tories. And a lot of people did say on the doorstep, well, you know, if I vote for you, then surely that just allows a, a Conservative MP to get in. So they're trying they're trying to they're trying to sort of undermine that narrative and suggest that it's between George and, and Ryan. Um, so I don't I I wouldn't say necessarily that it's likely that he would win, but I think you're right that that marrying of the two demographics, while people have said it's it's it seems hypocritical or or they should be mutually exclusive, it's not. You know, you've seen George Galloway, and he did say to me when I interviewed him there, things against you know identity politics, and he always makes sure that he mentions sort of LGBT. BTQ issues or pronouns in there. And I think there has been some nastiness among certain sort of WhatsApp groups and some, you know, darker corners of social media, which have been trying to make something of Kim Leadbeater's sexuality to try and stir up 
whatever um, prejudice in in some voters against her, which is another nasty part of how some toxicity has been allowed into into the by election campaigning. So I think you know he's trying his hardest with all all of his uh, populist rhetoric to unite those two demographics. So it, you know it, it it could work. Who knows? But I I don't see it as working. And the fact that the Conservatives have playing it so safe with their candidate and working those Tory areas that they think that they can rely on so hard suggests to me that they think that they're going to, you know, that if they keep their heads down, they're going to win it. Assuming everyone in Labour is right and that they might not win it, we're going to have a lot of discussion for weeks and weeks about what went wrong for them and what issues were coming up and what what drove that defeat if it is a defeat or even if it's a narrow win so from your experience what things are voters actually talking about there I'm mean, like what's moving the dial to be honest it's a story of two by-elections really because everyone who you speak to who's not affiliated with, the, with any of the campaigns on the doorstep mentioned local issues the roads are a state like you can actually tell I'm not a driver but you know even I could tell there's potholes everywhere um, the police station has been closed in, in Batley and sold off for a ridiculously low sum. Um, so there's a lot of anger at the council, even though the council's defence would be, well, actually, you know, we, we we had to implement cuts somewhere and, and we've had to, we've been forced into making these decisions. It's similar to what you were finding in Hartlepool, yeah, actually, where Labour get, get the blame. And so I think, to be honest, that those local issues <laughs> were the things that were really exercising people who I spoke to. Crime was another one, as well as the sort of more international issues that the British Muslims who I interviewed were also quite concerned about to do with Palestine and Labour's position on Kashmir as well. So so that was an element of it. That's not just something that's been introduced by George Galloway's campaign. That was something that people were bringing up. But also they they did feel in general that the Labour Party had taken ethnic minority votes for granted. Um, there was a lot of chat about, well, all of a sudden they come here with all of their Asian MPs from different parts of the country and they come and speak to us only when it's election. Why don't they care about us, you know, between elections? And so I think perhaps there is that element of like, we've been taken for granted and left behind that we found among older white voters in those Labour heartland seats that are referred to as the Red Wall. I wouldn't call this the Red Wall, but there is a similarity in some of the things that the Asian voters that I spoke to were saying. And those Tory voters in Chesham and Amersham as well. It's it's always voters who feel taken for granted, who who swing these by-elections. Yeah, they haven't been sort of nourished or or, uh, worked hard enough for over the years and now they just feel like they can register some kind of protest. The striking thing about Rattling Independent, despite the fact that it will, of course, uh, be be spoken of as in the red wall on Thursday and Friday next week, just in a bid to give me an ulcer, despite the fact, yeah, if you were conservative until 1997, you were not a Labour heartland seat. But I do think part of the the issue and one of the reasons why people feel taken for granted isn't this is the type of seat which is moving towards the Labour Party long term. And it's essentially the type of seat that in their reaction to the 2021 local elections, they kind of went, well, we don't, we're not into these people. We'd much rather win back Bolsover. And I do think that <laughs> you, know, you, you can't you can't you can't run the perfect experiment of the Batley and Spend by election without Keir Starmer's reaction to the 2021 locals. I haven't uh, been up yet, but um, through friends of friends who forwarded me stuff, didn't you know, their aunts and uncles or whatever are getting on on WhatsApp in that part of the world. Uh, yes, some of it is you know virulently homophobic. Uh, some of it is anti-Semitic, but 
the stuff which they say is getting the most shares on is the stuff which is basically like the Labour Party is embarrassed by you, essentially, right? And, and that kind of, you know, this weird message of, you know, people in Worthing don't count. One member of the Labour Shadow Cabinet, who's a London MP, was told by, they told by another one, they said, oh, yeah, and they said, how's it going? He said, oh, well, and they said, yeah, but the problem is, is, you know, the better we do in London, the worse for the Labour Party. And they were just like, mm, I don't <laughs> actually think those two things are, are related at all. I mean, the slightly weird thing about this by-election, which, I mean, as I said, that's what I do just assume they will lose. I assume the Sebastian poll is underestimating how well Galloway will do because of all of my, I'm not going to sort of rehearse my, my scepticism about the things you can and cannot find out with constituency polling. But the thing that's weird about this by-election is politically it doesn't matter at all because, and we'll get into this a bit in part two, I guess, but because Keir Starmer has already done the thing that Labour MPs would have demanded he did if when they lose this by-election, which is to get rid of the members of his office who are seen as having performed poorly. So politically, this by-election, I think, doesn't matter all that much. Of course, from an electoral perspective, it is, I would argue, a more important health check than can you win a by-election where the Brexit party vote got 25% of the vote at the height of the vaccine rollout. Well, I'd be interested in what you, what you made of the conduct of the campaign, because ultimately this campaign as we said, is, is the fruit of incompetence, right? Don't let Tracy Brabin become the candidate. She won everywhere but her constituency, right, in the in the metro mayoral race. She actually did worse in her own seat than across the conurbation. How do people feel about the fact their MP has has left? Did that come up at all? There is so much anger about that. I, I, I actually didn't I was I was naive I didn't think that that would necessarily have registered even but yeah that came up particularly in the Tory areas um which you know where not everyone votes Tory it's a swing seat but particularly among people who weren't decided or you know weren't particularly political they really didn't like that um and there was also quite a lot of anger not anger but I think there was a bit of exasperation about Labour's choice of candidate in Joe Cox's sister because some felt that that may have been opportunism kind of playing on you know, the horrendous thing that happened um, a few years ago. Some feel like they sort of want the seat's politics and the campaigns to move on from that. And also there was a feeling that she's not someone who's got enough experience in politics to represent them in Parliament. So to be honest, I think that decision has backfired among some voters, whereas others who spoke very highly of Jo Cox um, and liked the fact that she was related to her and that she's a local as well, because she is the only candidate, I think, who can actually vote, vote in the in the by-election um, who's standing. So uh, there, there was there there was some positive things said about the fact that she was local, but I do think that it was a bit of a gamble. And one of the main factors um, of choosing her as a candidate was that loyal figures in the local area to the Labour Party who would have hoped to have been on that candidate list missed out. There's a sense that certain figures in the Labour Party who would have a lot of influence out campaigning and with the voters there have taken a little bit of a step back because they feel you know neglected um, and overlooked so to be honest I would say I think Labour reckons that that their campaign has been good but I I think there have been some mistakes made there as well. It's so interesting isn't it? They have kind of maybe overcorrected from Hartlepool or addressed some of the problems with the selection of the candidate in Hartlepool but not in necessarily the right way that certainly in Hartlepool the thing that I just found was a talking point over and over again was the fact that neither candidate was local and then we've talked about this before but Sam Lee who was a local businesswoman who stood took a really substantial chunk of the vote still if you had combined her vote and Labour they still would have lost 
but you can sort of view Sam Lee's vote share as the manifestation of the problems with Paul Williams as a candidate because she was very good at just making the case that Kim Leadbeater is now making a Batley and Spen of just being like, I'm I'm the local candidate. I know all the villages around here. I've lived in eight different places around here. I know what it's like to work here. I'm just, I'm one of you and I'll be, a, you know, a local voice and a local champion. It was really clear to me that Paul Williams should have been local in Hartlepool and that would have helped a lot, even if it hadn't helped them actually win it. Or even if it hadn't been enough to just clinch it, it would have helped. But then with, with Kim Kim Ledbeater, she has that. But then there's the more complicated politics around her being the sister of the former MP who was tragically murdered. And and then also, as you say, the, the even more local politics of who were the other potential local candidates who were overlooked so that she could stand. And I also think that's fascinating that people want a local candidate, but they want someone with enough experience to represent them properly. Because Sam Lee in Hartlepool, you know, with the greatest of respect to her, wouldn't have, have necessarily as an independent been able to arrive in Parliament and make the best use of all the parliamentary levers at her disposal. And that's just a trade-off that you have to make. Yeah, I was speaking to a Labour MP who knows the seat well, who was saying that he thinks that they kind of overlooked the the very human, just the human reaction of disappointment at not being able to be given a chance to represent the area that you've been sort of working so hard in. So, you know, I'm not going to make a judgment on whether or not it was a mistake to choose her as a candidate, but I think it was more of a gamble maybe than they expected it to be. Yeah, we'll get onto this more in part two. But I think the thing is, I don't think they had learned from Hartlepool. It was very much a kind of like the same Hartlepool mistake going like, okay, what we need to do is we need to have a candidate who can kind of be our water carrier and go, okay, we've got loads of problems, but isn't our candidate impressive? In one case, he's a doctor. And in this case, um, you know, she is uh, the sister of the MP who, who tragically was assassinated. But in both cases, it's kind of a failure to understand that you can't mismanage your by-election selection in a kind of We've thought about it, we've decided who your choice is, and here it is, because that always does create problems in the local press and the local party. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And now it's time for a section we like to call You You Ask Ask Us. Us. So we've got a question today from Simon Raynal. On my way back from canvassing in Batley yesterday, I heard Alva on Radio 4's PM programme, shout out, uh, arguing that Keir Starmer's reshuffle of his staff would be seen as a sign of strength, not weakness. I was surprised. Do you really believe this? Alva, do you want to (laughs) take that one first? I, I think the important context here, firstly, thanks thanks to him for listening and for sending in the question. The, the very important context here is that I was asked 
is this reshuffle a sign of weakness or a sign of strength for Keir Starmer? And in a toss-up between the two, it's definitely a sign of strength that he is making the decisions and making the changes that everyone, every Labour MP, every Labour member of the Shadow Cabinet has been seeking for months. It's a sign of strength rather than weakness that he is making these changes. But... I suppose if I had been in a more combative mood, I would have maybe pointed out that it doesn't have to be either. <laughs> you know, it's just a just a thing he's doing. It's maybe not great that he has had to. Um, it's not really about weakness or strength. comes back to something we talked about in part one. And the thing that I think is going to be very strange next week is there will be a catastrophic result for the Labour Party, I think at least, it will be in large part down to mistakes made by Keir Starmer and his office, right? Now, yes, yeah, and this is when a certain type of person loves to go thinking they're being very wise. Oh, but isn't the problem the Tories did so well? Well, there's a there's actually a great Margaret Thatcher anecdote which exactly illustrates the the, the, diff, the problems in Hartlepool and the problems in Batley and the ways they're the same and the way they're different. It's after the 79 election and this young, obsequious new MP, um, actually I must, it was after 83, come, comes up to Margaret Thatcher and says, you know, I just want to thank you, um, Prime Minister, because I won by, you know, 83 votes. You visited four times. You were the 83,000 votes. And she kind of looked at him and went, no, I was the 20,000 votes. You were the 83, <laughs> which she was exactly right. Then that is such the, a great response. The political circumstances, <laughs> the party leader, the economy, the, the unlocking, the, yeah, although even if you look at Johnson's approval, the unlocking bounce is clearly starting to unravel a bit. That is why the Conservatives are able to come within shouting distance in this by-election. But the reasons why they are going to win it, I think, are all to do with not letting people stand who wanted to stand allowing the by-election to happen in the first place and not just blocking off Tracy Brabin at the um, yeah at the shortlisting stage. I mean, seeing as this leader's office has had an NEC majority to have its preferred candidates in both these races, it really could have just avoided. And part of having good political instincts is knowing when to avoid fights you don't need to have. All, but th So all of this stuff does really matter. But because Keir Starmer has already done the thing that the parliamentary party was going to demand than he does... I think it will be a sort of a, a kind of a weird non-event in some ways. And then a large chunk of the media will basically go, where's our Labour beef? Where's our Labour beef? But if I was given the stronger or weaker, I would also reluctantly go for the, well, yeah, this does leave him in a stronger position. Only in politics would you know, well, I've spilt this milk on the floor after you told me not to juggle with the milk bottle. I insisted that the people telling me not to juggle with the milk bottle were in the, uh, were in the wrong. Now I've dropped the milk bottle on the floor. I'm cleaning the milk up. Only in politics is that treated as a sign of strength. But in terms of everything that matters next week, it kind of is. It's it's really interesting. I was speaking to someone earlier about the decision to make this reshuffle of his inner team now. And it's, it's funny. Uh, the thing I hadn't really appreciated the last time we were speaking about it is the fact that some MPs are annoyed at, at, about the timing of it, even if they really wanted this move to happen. I think that they simultaneously feel like it's way too late, but also too early because it doesn't make sense, you know, to leave it so long after one by-election defeat and right before another one to make this move. So supposedly quite a, lot, quite a few MPs are annoyed about that. But I think on that one, they're, they're right to feel annoyed about it, but maybe strategically it is the right thing. Because as you say, Keir Starmer has preempted 
all of the criticisms and anger that are going to be leveled at him if Labour win, if Labour loses in Batley and Spen. There won't really be anything for people to clamour for. I think, you know, there definitely are you know, whispers of potential leadership challenges, but no one really thinks that this would be the time for it. So even if people are very frustrated... There's a feeling that there is a new team and it's too early to see how someone like Deborah Mattinson, who's coming in as director of strategy, it's too soon to see what 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 difference she'll make. So people will kind of have their hands tied after Batley and Spen. So I think that this is actually a very smart move by Keir Starmer. If he, the, the shadow cabinet reshuffle definitely made things worse for him, but I don't know if it would have been better to immediately make those changes to his top team and to be seen to sort of giving in to the pressure from journalists and MPs and the shadow cabinet immediately i think maybe by keeping us waiting he's taken the heat out of the story a bit then also then people have nowhere to go in a, f- in a few weeks time when they're annoyed about batley and spen and so we're denied potentially a big long story over the summer about chaos at the top of the labor party yeah i agree with you i think the timing has actually been perfect because he didn't do it soon enough after hartlepool to look like he was caving to pressure but also that would have meant that the new team would potentially be to blame for what happens in batley you know because that sort of gave them enough time to have an influence on it whereas because it was so soon before the actual by-election then it will be difficult for people to blame that new team of course that makes him more exposed doesn't it because once you've changed the staff that everyone thought was a problem what's left but you but like you say from speaking to MPs and people in the Labour Party there's not there's not that appetite they're not at that stage yet where they're going to try and change leaders they don't want that kind of rancor over the summer so to be honest it was probably quite good timing and of course he's given lots of MPs what they wanted which is a change change up of his office because people were so disillusioned with how they were being treated. So on the night of the post Hartlepool by-election we were you know in Westminster mourning the loss of our weekend and um, talking about you know why would you yeah kind of one of us got off the phone went why do something is stupid and we were talking about and Alva you said well the weird thing about political strategy is it gets easier the worse you do it because you just gradually run out you block yourself off of options yeah well Stephen said well what would you do right now and I and I was like I'd give Angela Rayner her job back or like give her a better one and actually, like, well, yeah, and it just gets easier the more the more you you've the messed up. <laughs> but actually, the decisions are, are so obvious. Like at, at that point where she was so angry and the PLP was so angry, it was like the easiest decision in the world. Whereas if you're doing well, or and especially if you like come in as leader, <laughs> it's probably harder to set a positive direction rather than to just correct mistakes, if that makes sense. Yeah, because so, this was in the context of me going, God, can you imagine, would you want to come up? We're like, it, like it, we're talking about this in the context of obviously because, you know, the the sort of Rayner attempted sacking was announced at basically exactly the point that the Deborah Mattinson appointment came in. And I was just like, I mean, what would you do from this point? And I went, look, yeah, you just just give her a job back, right? Like you've, you've, you've messed up, but there's, fortunately, there's only one direction left. And I think this is the thing is, I think then the MPs who are annoyed that he didn't do it either sooner or later, are a outnumbered by the MPs who every single day that he didn't do it were getting crosser and crosser. Obviously, the optimal thing to do would have been to just not greet the heart the local elections in the way they did and go, you know, like period of reflection, blah blah blah. Aren't we happy that we've done really well in these emergent seats? Not least because that would a I think have set them up better for Batley, but also although Chesham and Amersham has nothing to do with them. They kind of could spin it as part of their, you know, kind of like, you know, look, look how well we're doing in these these rising anti-Tory areas, and and look how our 
our, you know, our tactical brilliance of, of deciding not to go there. Which I mean, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, well. you, you know, they, they could have could have done all of those things. But I think where a focus comes down, this is obviously one of the, the, well, the kind of final thought in the politics column this week, is the anxieties in uh, the PLP about Keir Starmer's operation have been twofold. One about the decisions and, you know, the near silence from many people in his office. And that issue has, well, I was out to say has been addressed. Obviously, getting rid of people who people in the parliamentary party and stakeholders wanted gone is, is one step. Getting in better replacements is, is you know, the other. You've got to sign Laconga after you sell Granite Xhaka, uh, to use a very niche uh, football metaphor. But the flip side of all that, though, is the other anxiety people have is, does the principal himself has have clear politics because if he doesn't you can deliver the you can deliver the lack of politics in a more competent way but um you know as, as someone uh fairly close to the inside an mp fairly close to the inside of it said the changes we've made now are the changes between going backwards in 2023 but the changes that are the difference between treading water and getting closer to downing street are all things that only he can do and one of the reasons why he's in a stronger position is, of course, than his internal opponents of, you know, I was, we haven't really talked about the Angela Rayner, you know, having that photo taken by with her with Jeremy Corbyn, then her saying, oh, well, yeah, her office saying it was a photo bomb, um, which may be true, but it does create this sort of weird problem that you'll remember from the Miliband era, Anoush, of people who kind of just weren't anyone's candidate. And the problem for, I mean, the problem, the underlying problem with, with that reshuffle is, there is no victory scenario for Keir Starmer that doesn't run through Angela Rayner doing well, and I would argue vice versa. But that situation isn't going to be indefinite. Whether it's you know Lisa Nandy or someone on the left, people start you know who people start raving about who has the ability to go beyond the campaign group in the PLP. The the sort of the current foundation of his strength is he's acted to deal this with this thing, and that there is no alternative. But that latter one is not going to be true forever. So unless the core, unless the principal himself can it can can provide this political direction, the summer of Labour beef will be upon us, whether it is uh, next summer or the summer after. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Alva Ray, Anusha Kellyan and Stephen Bush. We're produced by Chris Stone and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks very much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like and leave us a review. And you can ask us a question for the New Statesman podcast by emailing us podcasts at newstatesman.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.